You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome once again to Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews, part of the Dark Discussions uh, News Network. Uh, we're at www.darkdiscussions.com. I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A., and with me in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hey, this is Barrett. Barrett, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Excellent. And in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Hey, it's Johnny. Johnny, how are you, sir? Excellent, sir. Excellent. And in the province of Alberta, Canada. Or the winters of Alberta, Canada? <laughs> that yeah, would be yeah. me, Sean. <laughs> yeah, and you had how many uh, inches of snow today? Uh, they were well, anywhere from they were doing anywhere from ten, I, to, uh, I, ten I, to ten to thirty centimeters. What, what, what's so, uh, all right? So that's so two that's and a half. Two and a half yeah. centimeters is an inch. So that you said thirty would be that would be about twelve. That's about a foot. Yeah, yeah you, you do that. It looks metrics. like it was more than that, though. <laughs> Well, that's why you got to get a snowblower. So <laughs> I'll, I'll bother you about that for, for days. But uh, anyway, okay. uh, for uh, folks who uh, are new to the podcast, uh, we basically uh, are part of the Dark Discussions News Network where we uh, discuss uh, genre films uh, and all sorts of things such as horror, sci-fi, fantasy, thrillers, techno thrillers, mysteries, grindhouse, art house, foreign films, foreign language films, and the like. Uh, on the Halloween Batuk Psychotronic Reviews, not only do we do movie reviews and movie critiques, but we also do interviews. And uh, tonight we actually do have a special guest. Uh, and so uh, that special guest, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Tara Violet Niami, and I am a cinematographer based in Los Angeles, California. That's right. And uh, what, what's uh, interesting about uh, Tara is that she actually uh, is the DP or cinematographer for a film that we actually reviewed just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, of course, I didn't prepare and get that uh, episode number, but uh, let me see if I can find it while we uh, um, are recording and I will uh, get that in a moment. And uh the film episode was episode 32 of the Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Review, so uh, you can find that both on the Dark Discussions podcast feed or the Halloween Boutique Psychotronics Review podcast uh, feed, which can be found anywhere podcasts are found, as well as darkdiscussions.com. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we recorded that, and we released it a few weeks ago, and um, the Twitter account uh of uh the movie i without a face uh found the episode and uh, uh tweeted it out and so i contacted uh you folks and uh tara was kind enough to uh contact us back and uh, asked her to join us and she said yes so uh welcome welcome thanks for uh, having me 
Indeed. And thanks for uh, talking about our movie uh, without a face. Yes, yeah, it was a, it was a, a hidden gem, and uh, we always love talking about hidden gems and uh, indie films on this podcast. And uh, so uh, we we certainly uh, liked. You guys had a great trailer. And by the way, did you make the trailer? Did you make the trailer? Uh, Ramin, the director, um, cut the trailer. Uh, okay. But um, yeah, I love the trailer. I think it's really fun. It is, it is, and that's what <laughs> caught our attention. And so we went in all blind, and we decided to review the film, and, and not just review, but we do critique it as well. Uh, so I guess we can uh, get into some questions, uh, talk about uh, all the stuff that you've been up to, as well as uh, I Without a Face and stuff. So, uh, Barrett, why don't you go? You got some questions? Sure. So in I Without a Face, it looked to me like a lot of handheld was used. Is that right, or what? what was the cameras that you used in the film? Yeah, um, so it was kind of uh, a mixture of static camera and moving camera. Um, I shot I Without a Face primarily on an Alexa Mini camera. That was for like the majority of the movie. Um, but then also the character is a hacker who's hacked into people's webcams and he's watching what he can see through their webcams. So I used a different camera, a smaller camera, Sony A7S with one kind of wide lens, uh, like positioned in places to, to replicate what a computer webcam would see. Um, so shot that first and that camera doesn't move because it's supposed to be like a laptop in the person's apartment. Um, and then the other like movie camera um, was used for, the rest of the film and yeah so there's sometimes uh static camera stuff and then sometimes like handheld a little bit of steady cam for like tracking through the hallway um and the opening um or like not opening but the like transition from kind of the ending scene that opens the movie into the rest of the movie there's like a shot that tracks down the street to this house so that was a steady cam shot i had a steady cam operator um but yeah it was a small space you had to work in with with that because the the house is kind of crowded in the Very film crowded <laughs> and there's there's yeah, one scene so when you're coming up on you're coming up on the roommate and then you switch over to the other side of the roommate as he's like doing a selfie or something it's kind of it was a neat transition i liked it oh thanks yeah um are you talking about the uh bathroom yeah like, the bathroom walks, he, yeah he's he walking down to him yeah. and he's like what are you doing and and his roommate's taking a selfie yeah. yeah i thought that that was kind of fun we get like henry seeing him and then the kind of like point of view of like selfie taking yeah um, and technology is a part of the film obviously so integrating like phone selfie all that stuff uh was a part of it but also um Luke Cook, the actor who played Eric, the roommate, was so funny <laughs> and fun <laughs> to work with. He was so funny that it was, like, hard to not be laughing during takes. I had to, like, quiet myself behind the camera. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, uh, Johnny, what do you got? Uh, Tara, thanks for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we uh, we all we all loved the movie, and we were all... Um, uh, pleasantly surprised. We didn't really know what to think going into it, but we uh, we all loved it. Um, I guess my question is pr pretty straightforward. Uh, 
who who are your like um influences that got you into this type of work as far as um you know past directors or writers or whatever and it doesn't have to be in the horror genre it could be any genre um yeah i have like a lot of favorite filmmakers and stuff and growing up i was kind of um educated on old Hollywood and classic films. So like Orson Welles and Hitchcock and obviously rear window is very inspired by Alfred Hitchcock. Um, so I love them. I love um, contemporary directors, uh, Jane Campion, love Scorsese, Terrence Malick, Vim Vendors, ton, tons of people. Um, I don't know. I could go on and on and, and French cinema too, like Francois Truffaut. Um, yeah, I, I have so many favorite filmmakers from all time periods, pretty much. Cool. Now, uh, Sean, what do you got? Uh, thanks for joining us, Tara. Uh, I was just asking, wondering like, was there a, a shot in the eye without a face that you're really proud of? that you maybe maybe had there were some challenges with initially, but you were able to find a way to make it work or. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Uh, let me think. There was a lot of interesting stuff on this. Um, I think I, I'm really proud of uh, the cinematography of the ending, which that's not one shot, but it was, um, it was really fun, like artistically and technically. Um, so like Laura in the hallway, the kind of canted angle and she's like walking through the hallway, hold, holding the razor blade. Um, that moment uh, I really enjoyed and, and kind of like that ending sequence. Uh, I played a lot with, I'd, I watched, um, I don't even remember what it was on TCM, some film noir came on and there was like a murder scene in kind of light and shadow, like two people were fighting and a light was swinging and you kind of got like glimpses of it. Um, and that really inspired me to have this like swinging light. So there's like light and shadow and she's walking in and out of the light, um, which was really, it was really fun. And, um, and I think also like the thing that was fun with this too was blending different cameras. Cause I mentioned the two main cameras the movie was shot with, but then there was also the GoPro, which like the killer films murders on. And so we shot those things on a GoPro. So it's like a different format and like distorted fisheye, you know, point of view. And it was fun in the ending. Cause we switched between like, the regular, you know, movie shots and then like seeing through his camera, what he's seeing and capturing. Um, and that was, that was really fun. I'm really into like voyeurism and uh, I'll say also that that sequence or a lot of elements of, of that kind of like first person camera thing were really inspired by the opening of Halloween, which I love. Um, I love like how it's, you know, from his point of view and we're like go, going through the space um, and it's really creepy and suspenseful. Um, so I love that opening sequence. 
Cool. Thanks. Indeed. Uh, for uh, folks who are curious about the film, uh, and has the IMDb, uh, an agoraphobic young man, Henry, living with a YouTuber and struggling actor, Eric, hacks the webcams of young women and suspects that one of them is a serial killer. Um, the film is available uh, anywhere you can purchase or or buy uh, VOD films. So that would include iTunes and uh, Vudu and YouTube and Amazon and so forth. Uh, it's also uh, free with advertisements on Tubi and Hoopla. Um, and if you did watch it that way and you did enjoy it, uh, again, you can uh, purchase it for nine ninety nine or less uh, anywhere. Uh, movies are available uh, for for rent or purchase, so uh, it's uh, definitely a good price to pick up if you uh, like the film. Um, I had a question for you, which is uh, unlike uh, most films where you know you it's it doesn't have um, like you said a GoPro where it's it's from the perspective of the murderer, or also um, cameras that's supposed to be um, the camera on your computer, which is the eye without a face. Um, how, how was it working on this film, uh, doing it this way, these type of films, even though you did say you probably have watched a number of films that have voyeurism and such like Rear Window and whatnot because it interests you as a technique. Uh, but how um, was it doing this, actually doing it as a cinematographer versus, say, other films that you've done or other work that you've done? Yeah, well, this was su super different from anything I'd done before, and it was a fun challenge. Like, how do you make a film that's mostly set in one room where a character interacts with the screen visually interesting? You know, how do you how do you get people into the perspective of this guy and how he sees what he's watching and how do you make what's happening on the screen interesting and exciting and creepy? Um so that was an artistic challenge and then also like a technical challenge in terms of how to replicate webcam footage and how to like film a computer screen and how to, to mix mediums of like the webcam shots with the uh, regular footage. Um, so yeah, I did a lot of, I watched other films, uh, both just general horror and thrillers for like visual inspiration and then films uh, that involve computers or hackers like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and, and other things and looked at like how they shot uh, people at computers and how, how uh, they shot um, like the computer screen itself, like what that footage looked like. And then I also did like tests with my own webcam and kind of experimented with like, what would that look like? Or where could I put the camera to replicate that? So there was a lot of experimentation. Um, but yeah, I think like the technical challenge was fun. And then again, the artistic of like, how do you make this interesting? How do you, how could I find a way to tell this story and like that you get into the head of this guy as things get crazy that visually you start to feel that way. How do you like, you know, get into his mind? Um, so that, that was really fun. I hadn't really done anything like this before. Um, so it was a, it was an exciting challenge. And then also um, like you had said earlier, the, 
I was shooting in a really crowded space. So that was fun too, to figure out like what my angles could be. Good. Uh, Barrett, what do you got? So I'm curious, were multiple endings for this filmed? No. <laughs> I'm just wondering. We, we talked about a lot of different possibilities of how it could have gone, so I was just curious. No, this was, this was the ending on the page. <laughs> okay. Anything else, Barrett? You got a, a, a question that, that's really... Can that I was my question for now. All right, fair enough. Right. Johnny, one. All right, let's go with Johnny. Let's go with Johnny. All right. Um, so my question is, how um, interconnected is the shots that you film with a camera, and then the sound that goes along with it? Do you have to do them together, or do you have to like parse them out and separate them when you're filming? Or are they two different? Uh, techniques altogether. How does that work from an artistic and a technical? I'm more interested in, I guess, the technical uh, standpoint of that. How does that work? Um, so, in terms of general sounds like um, dialogue and, you know, the sounds people make when they are walking through the hallway or the various actions, that sync sound that we actually record. So, um, the sound recordist boom operator was recording that on set. We had a slate and we synced that sound. Um, so it is like recorded alongside the image, but in this movie, um, the sound design was really important. So there were like layers of sound because there was the regular sound of like him at a computer or like talking to Eric. And then there were other kind of, uh, disconcerting electronic sounds, you know, or like ringing noises and stuff. And that's, um, that was like a combination of sound design, like in the editing of adding sounds to the real life sounds. And then the music, which is very sound effect-esque. Um, the, the score for the film is electronic and kind of like goes in between sounding like sounds and music. So that was after we had filmed. Uh, but Ramin had an idea for like how he wanted things to feel and then worked with the sound designer and the composer, Charlie Closser to come up with like, okay, what could those sounds be? When did they come in? How long do they last? You know? Um, but yeah, the sound design, like after the fact was really important in this. Because uh, it's like psychological sound. Like sometimes he can't, you know, Henry hears things, but it gets all like warped and distorted or quieter. And um, that, you know, it was recorded regularly, but distorted later on um, to create those effects. Sure. Uh, Phil, can I ask a follow up question on the same topic? Sure. Go right ahead. Yeah. So, how is it fair to say that it's completely different to? film and record like they're totally separate techniques and totally separate skill levels right or skill skill sets i should say is that right fair to say sorry can you uh explain the question right so it's fair to say that you can't assume just because somebody can film really well that they understand or have the ability to do the sound that goes along with it so you have to take into consideration the sound that goes after the fact when you're shooting a scene um, uh, n not exactly. Um, there, there 
our like skilled sound people on the set, um, we had like a great sound recordist and sound mixer who was recording. Um, it's more just that uh, as a cinematographer, you can't fully anticipate what the sound design will be later on. Like that's more of like artistic choices of the filmmaker um, that are out of your control. Um, but, you know, affect how you see the shots that you did. Um, but yeah, just overall, a cinematographer isn't involved with recording sound. So we're, you know, our, the, the kind of like, uh, relationship with the sound recording on set is more making sure that the boom mic isn't in the shot, <laughs> like showing them the shot and going, okay, you, you, you know, this is a wide shot. You've got to hide here or whatever. Um, but they're pretty like different departments. So, thank you, Sean. Sean, what do you got? Okay, so this may this may not be particular to I Without a Face, but with many like maybe with your other work, has there ever been a time where you've had maybe a different vision than the director, or like what's the collaborative um, process in that? Yeah, um, cinemato- I mean, filmmaking in general is a collaboration and cinematography really is, you know, both an important element of the film, but you're bringing the director's kind of overall vision for the piece to life. But sometimes it does happen that you're like looking at the script or talking about shots and think like, oh, think like this should be handheld and we're following them and stuff. And the director is like, "Uh, I saw it as actually static or we're going to pan, you know? um, I think like uh, ultimately it's the director's vision. So, you know, if, if I have like an idea that they don't really get or doesn't work for it, I compromise because it's not really about me. I have to kind of sacrifice my ego (laughs) Um, because I'm in service of like their vision, but it is collaborative. So sometimes like I have an idea for something where, where they're not sure how to execute something or like, Hmm, I want it to feel this way, but like, how should we achieve that? You know, and I can bring up an idea like, what if we did this with the lighting or what if, what if the composition was like this? And maybe they get inspired and excited by that. And, you know, um, but I think the, the hardest thing is if, if something cannot be achieved, like realistically with the resources um, that you have or like time limitations, um, having to tell a director that it can't be achieved is, is very hard because you don't want to like make them feel like uh their ideas are wrong or bad or something, but kind of explain why it would be hard to do and offer an alternative. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, Now, uh, my question was kind of related to what Johnny was asking. Uh, I know you said that uh, the audio recording and the cinematographer uh, don't work uh, 
necessarily, I mean, they're different departments. However, um, for this film here, and I'm, I'm not sure if, if it required it, but I was wondering if there was any parts in this film uh, that needed ADR done because there were, were some outdoor scenes and things of that nature. And if, if so, or in your prior work where ADR was required, um, did you have to work closely with the audio folks uh, to make sure that um, the scenes that would require where the ADR is done uh, would have uh, people, you know, actually speaking where you can see them speaking and things of that nature, or, or is that something that's done after the fact for by the audio people after editing is done? Yeah, ADR um, is it, it kind of depends. I mean, there there are sometimes like that you'll be shooting a scene and it's hard uh, for the sound person with the outside sounds or whatever to get clean audio. And so maybe like after you finish the scene, the shot, they'll just like go aside with the actor and have them say a few of the lines a couple of times and record it so that they can mix that in. If there's an issue um, with the like regular sound on the scene. Um, So there's that, which there were a few times, I think maybe on this that we did, or it was just sort of for safety to have. Um, and then there's the, like, after editing, um, in the editing process, uh, when people realize, like, oh, we need to fix certain things. And then also, like, not in this film, but if there's narration, obviously that's done after. Uh, but I'm not really involved with any of that. I my um, I only kind of, like, come back... Uh, for the color grading of the film um, to uh, bring the colors to life and all of that with the colorist. Um, But yeah, um, on this film, I was pretty involved in many ways outside of just being the cinematographer, like from the start of Ramin writing the script and stuff. So it's kind of different because I did watch some different cuts of the film and give feedback and whatever, but that's not... Um, what I normally, I don't normally get to do that or hear like the different pieces of music, um, that the composer's working on. So this was a bit of a unique experience. Uh, Barrett, what do you got? So this is kind of a follow-up to that. So is it hard to let go? Like you filmed the whole thing and it heads off to getting cut. Is it, is it hard at all for you to just sever yourself from that process rather than be a part of it. Like you said, on this, you got to be a little bit more hands-on on some of the other parts that that would be difficult for me. Um, yeah, I, know. <laughs> it, I mean, I think like cinematographers sort of um, biggest fears is like that a shot that's a bit out of focus or like that the lighting or something wasn't right ends up being used in the final <laughs> cut. And you're like, Oh man, why'd they use that take? But sometimes it's just because for the the flow or the performance, it was better. Um, So that sacrifice had to be made. Um, But I don't know. I, um, I, I feel like it's kind of interesting, like, to see what happens with what you shot later on. I mean, some directors follow, like, the original shot list in the script, you know, um, pretty strictly, so the editing isn't 
that surprising later on. Like it follows what the original plan was. Other times they get really inspired by, you know, in the editing room, shuffling things around and trying something new. And you're like, Whoa, I didn't anticipate that. That's cool. Um, but I, I don't really mind, um, I guess losing out on that process. Cause it's not that it isn't my film. Like I am involved with it, but I'm not the director in cases where I'm not directing, I have directed in the past or that's kind of how I started out making my own films and I was involved in many ways. And in those cases, you know, it was nice to be a part of all the elements of it. But as a cinematographer, like, I don't know, the filming of it is the most fun part. So I just really love being on set and filming and, and then bringing, like I said, the colors and the images to life in the color grade later on. Do you always watch it once it comes out just to see, or do you stay away from that too? Oh yeah, no, I definitely watch it, but it can be hard because I watch it going, oh, that could have been better. Why, why did I do that? Or like, why, why didn't I do um, that? Like have to, you have to kind of like get over that. I mean, it's, I think it's a lot harder for actors to watch themselves. Um, uh, especially if they have to go into a different mindset, you know, for their performance. And so they're not like really sure how they're going to come off. And then they're watching it later on. And it's like, who is that? Uh, for me, it's more just like, I notice things that I think are wrong or could have been done better. And I just have to kind of, move on and be like, well, did the best I could. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. Johnny, what do you got? Um, I heard you mention that um, the main location that you shot the film was very cramped. When you watched the movie, it gave you like a terrible feeling of like claustrophobia. Was that intentional or a byproduct of just being in a cramped environment? That was very intentional. So it was very much a collaboration between the filmmaker Ramin and I and the production designer of making the space cramped because it had to do with like uh, this character who barely leaves and has just kind of stored all of this stuff um, that's his and his father's and all these computer parts and things that it's just been piling up and it's, out of control and uncomfortable. Um, That was intentionally, you know, designed in terms of the set. Uh, So as to make you understand the character, and then that kind of worked with my shots of making you feel claustrophobic. So it definitely was intentional. Definitely the point was for people to feel kind of trapped. And yeah, yeah. Do you, do you just make the room like a little extra small when you build a set? How does that work? This was or, or real, is it camera angles? Um, yeah, this was a real room, um, like a real physical space. Um, in terms of like set builds, like constructing sets, it's usually bigger, better to make it bigger than how you're making it appear so that you have more flexibility in terms of the camera angles and stuff. Cause you can make things feel small in terms of like putting it in a corner or the angles or lens choices. Um, but it's hard to like, if you're in too small of a space, 
to have many options for angles and stuff. Like in this film, the hardest place to shoot in was the bathroom because it's really small. Um, but I just had to kind of figure out like, okay, I can be looking at it through the doorway. And then there were some shots where I had to stand in the bathtub <laughs> when we're filming him with the razor and looking in the mirror to like get side shots of him because it's very small. Um, so that was tricky, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you just kind of have to um, adapt to the space but in this it was a mixture of the production design and then where I put the camera that made you feel claustrophobic nice uh, now uh, Sean what do you got uh, I was gonna I, I'm not sure if you can answer this so if you can't just uh, give me a kick out of here um, I was just wondering uh, with the as- you know, aspects of the mental health in the story uh, was there anything that you guys maybe talked about in approaching different shots? Uh, Yeah, I can give an example of that, actually. So there is a scene when Henry has a panic attack and, you know, he's kind of freaking out and he he can't breathe. um, And... Uh, his roommate is telling him like to take your medication and like have, you know, some water, breathe, etc. Um, I really wanted to replicate the feeling of anxiety. I have anxiety and was thinking about how do I feel when I'm experiencing this? How can I visually make people feel like what it feels like to feel out of control, like that you're sitting still, but you don't, things feel off. So that's why there are shots where like from his point of view, the camera is moving around the ceiling in the room. So like he's sitting there, but it feels like things are out of control. So I wanted to replicate that by having these handheld shots, you know, where he's like in his head kind of freaking out. And then we see like these shots kind of reflect what his the inside of his brain feels like um and then also in that scene and in those moments i used um a wider angle lens closer to him so it kind of distorts things so that's why when he's looking up at his roommate and ella they're they're like close to him and kind of distorted and it makes you feel uncomfortable because that's how he feels in that moment. So I wanted to replicate that with like the camera's going to be close to their faces, but kind of distorted. So it feels like he's like, oh, they're, you know, up in my face and I, I don't feel comfortable here. And then as he starts to have a panic attack, the, the camera gets more unstable. And, and that works also with the sound design of like, it gets into this ringing sound and music that's really uncomfortable. Uh, but yeah, I definitely, we talked about like how to portray anxiety, especially. Um, I appreciate that because it's not, not all movies approach it uh, on mental health with, or trying to understand or trying to get across what's happening. So thank you. For, and I had anxiety asking the question. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, obviously it's not easy to have anxiety in life, but 
it can be helpful to draw from it for art in terms of portraying how it feels having experienced it and trying to pull from that because uh, I don't really have to imagine. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, and this, this uh, question uh, is partly related to that question that Sean just asked, as well as uh, uh, the point you made about the bathroom and how that was tight. Um, th- th- there's a scene earlier in the film that um, I think I was the only one that noticed, but um, there's a there's a extra mirror. There's a mirror in the bathroom, and it's not the correct reflection of um, our lead character. And so I, I figured right then, okay, there must be some, um, that must obviously relate to his mental health, or or at that time in the movie, possibly even supernatural, because again, we're not we're not quite sure what the movie is. We went in blind, but. Uh, when you did that, uh, was it two different shots that you did, and then there was like a green screen or something that that put the reflection in that was off? It was all in one shot. So there's the regular bathroom mirror that he looks at that's obviously a normal reflection. And then we have this two-sided mirror that has like a close-up side, um, you know, like for if someone's oh, doing makeup, makeup or that they want to yeah. see it really close and like a regular non-close-up side. So when you're, first of all, like when you're far away from it in the close-up side, then it's kind of blurry because it's meant to be, you know, your face up close to it. So there's that. And then also it was um, uh, tilted upside down. So, so that his reflection was upside down. Um, so yeah, I did that, uh, in real life. Just, I really love mirrors and reflections and, you know, making them psychological and like, you know, having people feel like what's going on here or he's feeling weird or what does this mean? You know, whatever. And that was just playing with the real mirror and finding something interesting, like these layers of images of him. And yeah, um, I love that shot. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was a brilliant shot because again, you you know, uh, as you stated, it it was done practically versus say with special effects. And and so that this is amazing. Um, And, and when you rewatch the film or if you happen to catch it as, as I did in the first viewing, uh, it's something that, that really makes sense with, with the character and, and uh, what, what issues that he's he's going through in his mind. So, uh, yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, well done. Definitely well Thank done. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, there are other um, distorted reflection shots and image things in this, and they were all done practically. Uh, so it was just playing around with real uh surfaces and materials um Ramin and I both really like to do things practically and it feels more real often like um in terms of the actor can actually interact with things in real life um and then also just like unless you have the most incredible CGI artists and huge budget it can look fake so better to do it in real life (laughs) Yeah, indeed. Uh, Barrett, what do you got? So typically, how, so we get an hour and a half film. How much do you record? Like, 
how much is filmed that then gets cut? Like, do you have like 10 hours? Like for this film, let's just talk about this film. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of footage in terms of that every shot and like dialogue scenes and stuff, you run through the whole scene on the wide shot and the close up, even if you're only going to use the wide shot for a certain amount and the close up for a certain amount. In terms of the cuts of the film, I mean, there was a longer two hour cut that just in terms of for the pacing and suspense and like getting into the action more, it was um, cut down. Um, in this film, it was more so in terms of what was cut down more just like some of the webcam stuff because um, there's only so much time that you can give to the story and like the suspense and mystery um, showing like each of those girls lives and stuff like that could be its own film. So there had to be some kind of like compromise of how much to include. Um but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of footage because you have to run through the scene in each shot angle um, and stuff. And the editor just has to kind of first, you know, sync the sound and put that together. And then and then it's about um, uh, which shot best communicates what and making it flow and all that jazz. But there isn't like a 10 hour cut. <laughs> No, no, I, I didn't think that. I just was wondering how much typically gets filmed and then cut out just because it's stuff you've done two ways. So, so you, mean, yeah. you mean how much footage? basically? Yeah, how much footage, basically, not like a different version or anything. Yeah, no, I, I'm just saying that also because I know there are some directors who have like <laughs> really long director's cuts, but this yes. is pretty much the story that was on the page to be told. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of footage. I don't know exactly how much, but... Um, Are there ever times where you stop the shot and you say this needs to be done differently? Uh, no, not in the... First of all, I wouldn't interrupt an actor's performance by ever wanting to cut before <laughs> they're done acting. Um, but also, I think it's more like realizing it before shooting it, like setting up the camera at a certain angle and going, this doesn't feel right, you know, and then taking a moment like, hmm, where should the camera be? Or like, what, this isn't quite working and figuring that out before pressing record. I mean, sometimes we'll do like two takes of a shot and it's like, there's something missing in this scene. We need another thing. We need like a closer shot or, or something and we'll add that. But Usually it's more just beforehand. Um, but in this, it was pretty shot listed. We, we had kind of, um, uh, I have this app on my phone that a lot of cinematographers use called Artemis. That's like a viewfinder app, but you can take photos through it. It kind of replicates different lenses and it's for you to figure out like the camera angles and what lens you might oh, use cool. and stuff. So we did a shot list a lot of, I mean, pretty much the whole film, some, some things changed the day of, of adding a few things or trying a different angle, but we kind of really planned it beforehand and thought about stuff and like used other people as our models of trying out, okay, what would this look like? In this film, 
also, we had to our advantage that Henry's room and the main location of the film is my home. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's cool. We that wanted is. and prepare a lot. So we wanted to it. So that's uh, the the room you're in right now is was where the mm. part of the film was. No, this is this is the back office. This is where gear was stored and the movie was cut. <laughs> um, uh, no, actually, it was kind of. Um, well, one thing that I can say is um, when you rent a location, when you're shooting in a real location, there are often limitations of what you can do to the space because it's, you know, someone's home. Like, they're like, you need to keep this furniture here. Or you can't repaint things or, you know, move things around a lot. And we wanted a moody space with dark colored walls and having all this stuff in there and by using our own space, we could do whatever we wanted to it. Plus I know the room really well. I've taken photos there and I've been in it a lot. And so I, I know like the windows. Well, I know the ceilings and the space. So it just made my life a lot easier than working in a completely new location, but it meant that we could, you know, try out shots and stuff beforehand and kind of really plan it so that when, the actors were there and the set design was there. We'd already kind of had an idea of what we were going to do. That's cool. Thanks. <laughs> and, and did that include uh, uh, the web girls as well as no, their, their rooms? Those were, those were separate those areas? Were, those were like a couple different locations. So that okay. first we shot um, for the film like a week, uh, the webcam footage in – a couple different places and it was important to find because you're like first of all you have on the screen you know all the girls in their places but then also go between them to find places that had different colored walls and different looks to them so that we knew where you are like oh we're in her place right now or like this place um and it was tricky because it most places but also in LA because it's really sunny and everyone wants lots of sun in their house um homes have like all white walls and that's both hard to make moody and then also like it would be a bunch of white walls on the screen so we had to look really hard and find these locations that we found that were great uh that you know could be could have different looks also I really we're really lucky with um Laura's place like that living room and kitchen dining room situation that her scenes take place in because it it was it was so great um because we wanted a place that had like some kind of living room that went into a kitchen and like all these different things could take place in this one space and it, having this like you know um dining room with this giant mirror and then this open kitchen and these creepy stairs like it was just so perfect because so much could take place in this one uh shot because there are all these different you know parts of the space to work with and and it was great because it didn't have white walls so it's it's hard to light a space with white walls to be moody like to make it dark or creepy um but that place was just that was perfect yeah, uh, open concept with, with little walls. Perfect. Yeah, Johnny, what do you got? 
when we first jumped on the call, you said um, Luke was hilarious, and we agreed that the the roommate's character was was quite funny. I'm just curious, how much of his uh, dark, or as we say up here, dark uh, comedy was intentional, like from the writing, and or how much of it was him just kind of like doing his thing and being unintentionally kind of humorous? Um, yeah, so there was, there were some of those funny lines in the script, but then Luke also improvised, uh, because, I mean, like with kind of the content of what he was talking about, like say he was supposed to be talking, joking about Laura being this killer or something and his line about like, um, I would Ted Bundy her any day or something like he made <laughs> up. Um, even though originally Ramin had come up with like Ted Bundy in a skirt, like that could be funny, but like the specific lines he said and stuff he came up with, um, some of those humorous things. So it was, I mean, cause Ramin cast him cause he, he's a really funny guy and he'd been doing, he'd done a lot of these like impressions and skits that he'd written himself uh, that were like popular on social media and whatever he was, he could tell like, Oh, he can bring a lot to this role. And so he definitely brought his own spin to things. And Australians have like a specific sense of like crass and dark humor um, and him being Australian. He definitely had some of that. So he brought it there. Um, but yeah, and it was also like that there needed to be some levity in the film, you know, things are creepy and uncomfortable, but then this guy is like livening things up or being like, Henry, what are you talking about? Or like, you're such a weirdo. Why don't you just go out with girls or, you know, um, to have, to have that humorous edge to it. Um, so, so did he just fake he has a, a a really good fake American accent then, huh? If he's Australian oh, actor. Who? Uh, Henry, the protagonist, is actually also Australian, and he did an American accent, yes. Oh, wow. The roommate, Eric, is Australian, and he does an Australian accent. So he played his own accent. Uh, Dakota, who plays Henry. That's right, yeah. I, is Australian, right. but did an American accent. Yeah. How about that? Um, How about Australians, that? like British people, can do perfect American accents. Like actors, it's very wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, Sean, what do you got? Uh, kind of another, I uh, guess, off question or not, but uh, is there maybe an emotion or vibe that you like to work with or like to maybe get across or gravitate to when you're doing your work? Well, I guess it depends on what it is that I'm doing or like the kind of genre. Um, but I am prone to liking moody things. So like my own photography and stuff often has like a sense of melancholy or yearning. And that's something I gravitate towards. Um, Cause I just, I think it's interesting to show like, obviously I have happiness in life, but I'm less inclined to just have like corny, like, yay, cute, fun kind of <laughs> Uh, stuff in my work I, I think I just really like making stuff that's psychological um, 
and kind of having people, I don't know, like the, the cinematography and stuff helps people get into, if it's a narrative fiction film, the character's head or makes them feel what they're feeling. Like if they're struggling or if they want something or, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, to me, I'm definitely depending on what the emotion on the page is or the concept the director is going for. I, I want to communicate that over just making nice images. Cool. Thank you. Um, now, uh, this question is more related to, um, I guess, uh, the the set pieces. Um, and, we, and we were talking about it because and we didn't ever figure it out, but there was a, a door behind our our I guess protagonist, even though you could argue that he's an antagonist, uh, Henry, and um, we it was never opened, and it was always thought that there was something ominous behind that door. Besides maybe that being the room where you guys kept your gear uh, for for the movie no. itself. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay, good. Uh, for the movie itself, was there supposed to be something that was written in the the script that made that? But whatever was well, behind that door, ominous. That was supposed to have been his father's room. So that's why, okay. like, um, you know, he's having these flashback, traumatic memory flashbacks slash nightmares of his father. And, um, and it's tied to the fact that he's in this house that he was in with his father. So the memories are still there. And so that's his father's room and you know you don't know like is he still there or not um spoiler alert he is not <laughs> he is dead <laughs> so his dead um, body's not in there um no, uh, well no i mean technically it's in the basement that we never see <laughs> ah okay Interesting. Because right. yeah. at the end, he's, he says, like, I thought I buried you in the basement. That's oh, right. right. Yeah, that's right. Um, but so that room might go to the basement, too. We don't see it. Spoilers. <laughs> that's all right. Most people who've uh, listened to the, this episode have probably already listened to our episode about the movie itself. So I don't think we... Uh, anything will be spoiled for folks, but either way, people should check it out, which the movie is available everywhere. Um, you can VOD a film, so definitely check it out as well as on Tubi, uh, if you uh, prefer, uh, Barrett, you got a question? Yeah. So what genre do you gravitate towards as a cinematographer that you would prefer? You said you like the psychological stuff. Um, but are you like firmly in the horror camp or do you, are you doing everything? Um, I do different stuff and I've done music videos and fashion films, which are different than this, obviously. And as a cinematographer, it's fun kind of being a chameleon and doing different things. Um, but I don't know, as a cinematographer, just like as a viewer, I, I often like kind of melancholic or dark things. So I, I really like dramas. And then when it comes to like horror or something like, the more psychological versus just gory is like what I connect to more in terms of what I want to film. Not that I wouldn't do more of like a gory one. Um, 
but uh yeah i i haven't done much comedy (laughs) (laughs) i think my my favorite type of comedy is either like witty or dark um but that's kind of often more like English humor or something. So there isn't that much of that here in the U S being made. Um, but yeah, I, the projects that I've done or I'm going to do are the, like the next ones that I have coming up are both dramas that are moody and melancholic. Um, but this was my first time doing like a horror thriller and it was really fun. Johnny, what do you got? Um, well, so nowadays you hear about people that are, you know, filming entire movies on, um, you know, iPads, essentially. Um, would you say um, that it's it's you have to be more technically sound to be able to pull that off um, as opposed to in the old days when, you know, like certain directors would have access to expensive equipment or that was their only choice is to have expensive equipment to um, uh, film a movie? Well, you know, any kind of camera can record an image, but there, whatever you are using, um, there has to be thought put into it. So I think sometimes, like, people forget, say, if you use an iPhone or something that has a good quality image and you're able to film something, you still have to think about light or lighting and composition. And, like, there should still be that thought process there. Um, because it's not just about hitting record. Um, I think in, in general, like it's not the gear, but the person behind it and the choices that they make. Um, I can say, for example, as a photographer, when I first started out doing digital photos, when I was a teenager, I had a point and shoot camera, like that you could get for pretty cheap and Nikon cool pics, you know, that fits in your pocket. Um, and I took a lot of photos that I'm proud of on it, but kind of, I had to figure out like what were the best ways to use it to my advantage. Cause I didn't have all of the, uh, controls that a more advanced camera would have and, you know, autofocus and this and that. Um, but I think, yeah, like I said, it's, it's the person behind it and how they use it, um, I think sometimes people get a little carried away with the idea that even in terms of fancy cameras or gear, like they think, oh, well, if I just get the most expensive camera and like these fancy lenses, then anything I make will be incredible. But it it should be more about like how you're using that, not just what it is that you're using. Um, and I think, you know, if people have a story to tell that they should be able to use whatever means they have. So even though I'm not a fan of like shooting on an iPhone, um, you know, if someone has a story to tell and that's, that's all they have, then they should use their iPhone. (laughs) All right. Uh, What about you, Sean? You got something. Uh, I guess this is more just another out there question, but is there like a dream project or dream actor or director that you would like to work with sometime? Ooh, hard question. Um, dream project, dream director. Um, 
trying to think. Um, something just came to mind, which is that I really like dystopian stuff. So that could be really cool to do. Like I love Children of Men and I loved growing up reading 1984 and Fahrenheit 451. And I feel like some kind of post-apocalyptic dystopian thing would be really cool. Um, and I also really want to shoot a film from the point of view of a child. And I especially love films about children that are not sugary, um, but are more realistic. Um and more like treat the young person as a person instead of like a cute little object. So yeah, in terms of directors, I don't know. I feel like the the problem is the famous ones, they already have their go-to cinematographers. <laughs> like, uh, so, you know, Coen brothers and Scorsese and Paul Thomas Anderson. I mean, I would be delighted to shoot <laughs> one of his film someday. I'm really excited for his new film, uh, Licorice Pizza. But yeah, I have a lot of favorite filmmakers. It's hard to pick. <laughs> sure it is. Uh, I have a question for you uh, about uh, Tessa's room. Uh, unlike uh, the other uh, woman, webcam woman, uh, Laura and Linear and the others, uh, Tessa um, Actually, her room was specifically for, I guess, her business that she does. So unlike others, it wasn't just um, – I, I guess it was more static in a sense because she's just going to be in that one location staring at the, the camera or just sitting on her bed the entire time versus the other ladies who are, are walking around and, and, and whatnot. Um, how, how did you go – about filming Tessa's room and her scenes uh, versus the others, because it, it felt uh, much different than, than uh, Laura or Linnaeus, for example. Yeah. So one thing we thought about in terms of the camera angle and the production design is cam girls, um, you know, want to protect their identities because people like Henry, you know, <laughs> maybe can, creep on them and so they don't have a lot of like personal items in the background of their shots and stuff i mean i looked at some things from um documentaries on cam girls or like actual cam girls sort of what their setups look like and whatever and they kind of choose like a nondescript kind of backdrop so that there's just like them and their bed and a wall Maybe they have something on the wall, but nothing that's like very much their personality because they just don't they don't want to give too much of like their selves away, you know, to these customers that are people that they don't know. Um, and so that was really intentional that it's just this kind of specific shot, which was very inspired by the actual kind of shot that a cam girl would do of that they can be in the foreground and talking to the person they can be on their bed. Um, but that's kind of like the space that they're in. And then you only see the rest of her room in that murder scene. Like that when the GoPro moves through her apartment, you see like for a moment, like, oh, she has stuff like that record player that was off screen. And like she has things. They're just not 
in the background of like her job, you know, they're off to the side, like her real life stuff that people don't see. Um, but, you know, uh, we see it un- in this unfortunate circumstance, um, the rest of her space that she's like hidden from people. Indeed. Yes. But it was a, uh, uh, good idea, actually. To, I mean, it was brilliant to, to consider uh, that compared, you know, I, I didn't even think of like um, personal items on the wall that would represent her and, and, and whatnot, like, a, you know, say Los Angeles uh, Rams or, or, or something. And, and by not having any of that, that makes sense because of the type of anonymity is that the word uh, that she that she wants to hide from the people? But yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, because there was there was a point in the movie film where where the, he blurted out like, "Oh, you're in Los Angeles," and she was like, right. "How do you know that? I, yeah, I could have been anywhere." Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, because it's important, like for the safety of sex workers and cam girls and stuff that you know when they're doing this like digital work or whatever that the people don't know where they are. They can't like track them down and find them. They offer the service and that's what you get, you know? So it's like really creepy and invasive to her that he knows where she lives because she obviously has not put that information out there. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And and then to find out that this quote unquote freak is literally in the same town too, versus say, like you said, Johnny, they could be anywhere. You know, you can follow people on Instagram from Australia or Russia or wherever and, and so on and so forth. So, and you know, people who listen to this podcast and, and where we're all recording, everybody here is at a different part of the world, you know, on this podcast. So it's just interesting. Um, and yeah, her, her fear, um, and, and to be having that, the actress not only be great, but you, you able to capture her, her fear. Uh, it was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. That was the um, awesome part. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, let's uh, do uh, one more round of questions and then, then uh, start getting some more information about some of your uh, stuff that you want to promote uh, that you've done and that you are going to do, but uh, let's go with you, Barrett, uh, your final question. Uh, what kind of advice would you give to someone that was interested in becoming a cinematographer? Um, I would say to watch movies and see what it is that, I mean, that like you like and kind of gravitate towards, I guess, and then look up like who was the cinematographer of this movie and you can read about how they did what they did. So kind of watching movies and learning about how they did it um, and then just filming like with whatever camera you have and experimenting, um, that's kind of the first steps and figuring out what it is you have to say with your craft and what kind of projects you want to work with and put yourself out there and find those people. Thank you. Always good advice. Uh, Johnny, what do you got? Yeah, this kind of popped in my uh, brain when you, um, answered a question earlier you said you know writers and directors like to work with people they've already worked with in the past so uh yeah i never even thought of that but it obviously makes sense so you being an you know up-and-coming cinematographer are you working hard so you could finally work with one of the already established writers and directors or are you just trying to network 
and find other up and coming writers or directors to work with to grow with them. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's more about finding uh, of working with the people that I think are going to be those new icons or whatever um, people that I connect to that I know are talented. Um, not in terms of a like taking advantage of them way, but a connecting to their work and seeing their talent and going, they're doing cool things and going places and like we work well together and that's really cool. Um, so yeah, I, I know some talented filmmakers that I am planning to work with or have worked with on things that I think will continue to work together and will do great stuff. Um, and then in the case of like repeat working with people, I am working with Ramin again on his next film. So. Very good. Uh, Sean, what do you got? Uh, I guess my, my question would be what is maybe the most ridiculous trick that you've been able to use that would like blow people's minds as like how you pulled it off. Ridiculous trick. Hmm. Well, that mirror thing was, was, was a pretty good one. You know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. I, I will say, Hmm. One thing that was really cool and fun to do practically on eye without a face is the like, distorted face shots that you kind of see at the end where his face is almost like melting and stuff. Um, and you see his face and mask and it's sort of melty. Um, I, I just love doing things practically and finding ways to pull that off. So I think we'd like talked about having like a distorted face and then thought, well, how can we do that? And we used, um, I don't remember if it was, maybe mylar, like a reflective surface that was cut into a circle to look like a mirror on this board that then um, someone in the art department like pushed at the back of it as I was filming his reflection and it bent the stuff, which like distorted his reflection. So it was just really simple and like crude in terms of how it was done, but looks really cool. Um, I feel like that's always fun, like doing something in this kind of crude, simple way, but making it look really advanced and <laughs> complicated. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know what else. That That's what comes to mind, I guess. That's cool. No, and that's not something I would have considered a how you would have made that. So that's very cool. So thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess my final question is uh, now that you've uh, done cinematography and uh, whatnot, um, as we, as we know, a lot of great filmmakers uh, start out uh, doing something else. For example, Paul Schrader was a screenwriter first and, and then now, now he does, he directs films as well. And then Nicholas Rogue, uh, he, he was a cinematographer, uh, worked on Lawrence of Arabia and various other things. And then he became a director himself. Have you ever thought of, uh, doing uh, that as well, where, where, you know, be, being something, uh, uh, as part of a film production, but then eventually thinking, Hey, maybe I would want to become a director too. I do want to direct in the future. I think once I have more experience under my belt 
and I want to become a better screenwriter first. Um, screenwriting is hard and I'm better at the, even in screenwriting, writing like the action and description and the dialogue and setting up, you know, the three acts is difficult. So I want to be better at that before I like write film and just have more experience on set and more productions. So down the line, I do want to direct. Also, I love Nicholas Rogue, and I think it's really cool that he was the cinematographer on these films and then went on to do his own, like, very unique films. I love uh, Don't Look Now, um, uh, for example. Um, but, yeah, I do want to direct. I also love working with actors, so um, in the future, I will. Indeed. Very good. Um, all right. So um, before we uh, wrap up and uh, get some other information from you, uh, do you, is there any uh, other things we noticed on IMDb that you've done uh, some shorts and, and you mentioned that you've done um, um, various other things as well? Um, what, what, anything that you wanted to let folks know that they could go off and, and see maybe maybe their the shorts are on youtube maybe commercials or any of these other things that may interest people to say oh well this was a pretty cool movie i liked what what tara did i wonder uh what she's done elsewhere you know in, in these other things i think if people go on my site which is my full name so tara violet like the color n-i-a-m-i.com under um, in like cinematography and stuff, I have, I have like different music videos and things I've done. So I could list, you know, the names of them. But I think if if they go on and they go to like the narrative or fashion film section and they just click on any of the names of stuff, they'll see, like for example, this music video I shot, "See Me Through." Um, I'm really proud of. Uh, and this documentary I worked on, Who Do You Protect? And they're all really different. Um, but yeah, I think just basically myname.com. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff there um, that people can check out. All right, that's cool. We'll, we'll definitely um, uh, put that in the liner notes uh, for the episode on darkdiscussions.com when we release this episode. Uh, for folks who are curious, we are recording this on November 16th, 2021, and hopefully we'll get this out maybe even tomorrow. Um, now, uh, you mentioned um, the director of I Without a Face and screenwriter, as a matter of fact, uh, is doing another film, and you're working on it as well. Is there anything you can give us a sneak peek on that? And is it is it a thriller or a horror or... Um, it's a family drama, so very different. Um, I can't say too much yet, but, um, yeah, it's very, very different than this. Um, but, you know, it's more about, like, relationships between this family and there's kind of someone dealing with this secret and grief and stuff, um, yeah, I don't want to say too much, but hopefully we'll be shooting that next year. And then as it gets closer, people will learn more. Now, um, actually, actually, there's a question that none of us asked, and I'm sure uh, Johnny Barrett and, and Sean were probably thinking it, about it as well. Um, but uh, during the past year and a half with the pandemic and, and COVID, uh, how has it been finding work? And actually, when you do find work, uh, actually 
uh, filming during during you know the the certain constraints. Yeah, it was really hard in the beginning. Obviously, um, when LA went into lockdown, um, you know, couldn't go anywhere, and so couldn't do my job. And then as the city slowly started to open up again, there weren't many productions happening other than like commercials for a bit because those are shorter shoots and easier to kind of manage. So it took a while for me to start working again. Um, And the first thing that I worked on was this documentary that I made with friends of mine who are activists. Um, And that was, yeah, it was, uh, it was a different experience. I mean, we obviously like, to be inside and do these interviews with people and stuff, we had to like get COVID tested and wear masks and make sure to keep distance from people. Um, And so that was different. And working on that, it was hard because uh, like there was a heat wave at one point. And so, you know, sweating through a mask kind of hard. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it um it's definitely like changed changed things. Um I mean in terms of filmmaking and stuff, like before everyone was up in each other's faces a lot and now less of that and I don't know. I mean in a way I I don't know if it will sort of like influence this fully but I hope that um it's made people maybe recognize the importance of health and safety a bit more on productions and stuff because that gets ignored sometimes or like it's normal for people to come in sick if they're not like deathly ill um pre-covid and not really worry about the well-being of that person or that they might get other people sick I mean and even on I Without a Face, at one point, someone got a cold, gave it to a few people. It wasn't that bad, but, was, you know, it can happen very easily. But so with COVID, for the first time, it was like, let's take this seriously and, you know, for people to not spread around this virus. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, it's definitely changed the way we interact, so it's changed the way that sets are and and stuff. Uh, it's taken some getting used to, but it was really hard in the beginning, not working on stuff. I took photos of like self portraits kind of experimented to try to keep myself creative and not go crazy basically. Yeah. Yeah. It must've been tough. Um, a lot of industries were, were hit for sure as, as, as we knew the film industry did because all their entertainment with the theaters closing and whatnot and, and what we heard through uh, actors and directors and, and folks like you that, that um, had to go through it. Um, any any uh, final questions anybody wants to throw up that uh, you thought of that we may have not touched yet before we get all of Tara's um, social media information besides her website? Anyone? Johnny? I don't have any questions. I just want to say you've been very gracious and um, and great, and it's been excellent to get to know you a little bit better. And uh, we look forward to your work, or at least I do. <laughs> Indeed, me as well. Thank you. 
Thank you for your time. Yeah. So, uh, Tara, uh, so it's Tara a violet niami so uh n-i-a-m-i.com uh so tara vi violet niami.com and that'll be in the liner notes for this episode for folks if they just go to our website they can click and it'll bring you right to uh your website and um i just checked and i, I saw yep it's a it's very well organized so you can find uh, the fashion and music video part really easy um so uh where else uh would you want folks to find you for example uh, you know we always have uh, some filmmakers that listen to the podcast uh, we've had sean baker um listen to our podcast so so we, we actually have some some fairly well-known people but also just fans and, and people who are just interested in in your work uh or cinematography uh, where can they find you on social media well i think in terms of being a visual person uh best to look at my site and my Instagram, which is at Tara Violet. And then I also have a Twitter that's at Tara underscore Violet, which is a bit more kind of random. And I share my work there, but it's more like, I don't know, film films I watched or other things. So that's more like a diary, I guess. Instagram, I, I share photos I've taken recently or, you know, things I'm working on. Um, but yeah, Tara underscore Violet on Twitter, Tara Violet on Instagram, and then my website. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, now, uh, if there's anything else that um, you uh, have that comes out, just let us know and we'll, we'll get you right back on the podcast for sure. Um, anything else that you wanted to promote yourself uh, that people may want to uh, check out? Not particularly. I think they okay. can just, like, check out my site and... You know, I'll be sharing things as I do them and make them on Instagram and there. And and do you ever do uh, conventions or, or, or film festivals that folks can uh, uh, meet up with you? Um, I have uh, been to festivals. I was at Palm Springs International Short Film Festival in the summer for the documentary I shot. Um, I'm not really sure. This short pool that I shot right before lockdown has gotten into some festivals like Tokyo international short festival, but I think that's probably going to be online and some other places. I, I don't really know where I will be in person. I hope to go to Sundance next year, even just as a viewer. I love Sundance, but who knows? We'll see. <laughs> yeah. That, that would be exciting. All right. Fair enough. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, I'll, uh, uh, I guess, fourth what Barrett, Johnny, and Sean said, which is uh, you've been very gracious and, and we appreciate your time. And uh, we're actually uh, very, very honored that you came on to give us more insight about I Without a Face, a uh, hidden indie gem that uh, we, we felt was good enough to uh, discuss and uh, get out there to fans and so forth. Uh, we, we, we were all curious, though. Uh, how did you guys find out about the podcast? Because I, I don't know if we we actually linked you guys on when we released it. I think just like on the internet, Twitter, yeah. or something. <laughs> Popped up somewhere, yeah. 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 Well, I was just curious, that's all, because uh, it's like... Um, you always wonder where, where your your listener base comes from and, and how folks find you and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, it's a, a lot of times it's just like you said, random Google stuff pops up, things like yeah. that. 
Ramin really enjoyed hearing what you all had to say about the Oh, movie. good. I'm glad. He listened to it, and he, he found it really interesting and stuff, so, yeah. Very good, very good. So, uh, yeah, since so, since um, you're working with them again, if uh, and we do indie dramas too, you know, but this is this is not uh, all uh, indie film uh, website generally, and uh, you know, we'll we'll uh, review the other film that you you worked on with him. So, uh, just let, let us know. I know it's going to take a you know year or so to get it out and stuff, but uh, we'll still be here hopefully. So, let us know well, about it. Well, all right. it was uh, great talking with you all, and. Um, Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you, Tara. Appreciate Thanks. it. All right. So uh, that was Tara uh, Violet Niami, uh, cinematographer for Eye Without a Face, uh, which we reviewed in episode 28 of Halloween Between Psychotronic Reviews. Uh, so anybody wanted to, I guess, uh, discuss the interview so far uh, before we get into maybe what we've been watching and, and other, you know, you know, little reviews you wanted to talk about, about the things you've seen recently. I thought it was a really good interview, and it was kind of cool to find out that they filmed the main part of the movie in her own place. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that, that's 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 one of those things about independent films. Uh, anyway, they you can cut costs, and, and if you have someone that's in the um, the the I guess the production of the film or, or behind the scenes that that can donate their property that's that's you know that works i mean we always hear about how sam raimi he used to always use his own car right that, that was the big joke um and then people use their own house or their friend's backyard or whatever and uh um yeah so that was kind of cool to to note that uh i yeah. almost asked her to get up to you know walk around with her <laughs> it was well, it's funny because cool. you never know what is going to come out of these interviews but we almost always get one really cool nugget like that that's like wow i never would have known that that's cool i like it right and, and you know what? and she's that was probably her makeup mirror too so she's familiar <laughs> with it and how it works and stuff so so yeah it makes sense uh yeah. what about you sean and then uh, you want to comment on the interview it's interesting just the, the different perspective and stuff that you might not think otherwise. And just like when she was talking about the different aspects of different shots and doing the, like getting the different shots, it was reminding me a little bit of, remember when we did the block Island sound Yeah, yeah. we were talking and he was talking about the tricks, like how he got the dog to bark right, right. To dog, like that. It's like cool to hear that kind of like little stuff that you like, how do you make these things happen? And then to get the actual minutia of it is really cool. So sometimes by accident too, like those fish, yeah. all the fish in the black island sound. <laughs> yeah, talks that's about right. The big pile of fish. That's right. Yeah, that he that he found. Yeah, on the beach. Uh, what about you, Johnny? No, just kind of like to piggyback what Sean and uh, Barrett were just saying. Um, yeah, you, you always find these little nuggets, or to, to find that the house was, um, you know, her actual home was was crazy. But when we interviewed the uh, writer and director for any uh anything for jackson yep. uh i remember i put my foot in the mouth i'm like wow that was a really creepy house how did you find that house you shot it and he goes oh it's my house <laughs> and i'm like oh yeah i just called your house creepy and uh, <laughs> you know like whatever i you know i kind of felt a little a little bad about that but um yeah the big takeaway is how she said that um yeah you could have the best equipment in the world but if you don't know how to use it it's not going to amount to a whole uh, hell of a lot when you're trying to, you know, shoot a movie. You got to, you at the end of the day, you got to know how to use the equipment. So if you know how to use an iPhone or an iPad, all the way up to the best equipment, you got to know how to technically apply it. So that was kind of a cool takeaway. Well, I also like how Tara said that 
if an iPhone's all you have, use it. Yeah. So that you're yeah. getting creative and creating stuff. If that's what you want to be, you've got to do it. So yeah, right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, we, we didn't ask her, but but our website uh, says it here. She has an MFA from American Film Institute Conservatory in Cinematography and a BFA in Photography at Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York. So so um, yeah, it's like you said, Johnny. If, you know, she went to school to learn what to do, uh, which was uh, a good thing because we're right. You, you know, anybody can. You know, you just go to Netflix and there's like the bottom of the the barrel crap that you find by independent filmmakers because they just made it for two thousand bucks and and networks Netflix decides to pick it up. But but if, if, it's like you said, Johnny. You have to know how to use it, and and you know she she learned how to use it. And and, it was, and your question, Sean, which was really good, even though you weren't sure if it was going to be good, which is uh, the mental illness aspect yeah. and the anxiety stuff and, and she explained exactly what she did intentionally to get the feeling of someone that's having that breakdown or or showing someone's face real close up um you know like sergio leone you know did in, in the italian westerns just to show a perspective of what a person's feeling and and uh yeah so that's, that is uh, ingenious i like that um, they had careful thought about that yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, I um, I noticed from these interviews that we do, I like, you know, I like to go in blind. I mean, I did a little bit of research, so I wasn't completely ignorant. But, um, you know, I'm not surprised to hear she's, um, y- you know, super educated in that field because I got the sense when she was answering the question, she was uh, almost like an engineer, like sounded very technically savvy. So it's not surprising to hear she's super uh, educated in that stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, you know, a lot of great filmmakers um, don't even practice film and, and they just learn it on the fly and become great filmmakers. But but some some folks uh, like her, they, they go to school and they, and they learn it and they get the techniques and 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 she's yeah, she's she's like uh, most certainly an expert uh, in in the field for sure. So you're well, I like right. though with her was the the aspect of, yes, she's really got the the technical aspects down but the passion right because you can have all the technical skill in the world but if you don't have passion then Mm -hmm. it won't transfer or translate right so i thought her passion and just like the excitement in each of the answers that she had was really nice right because you can tell that she really cares about it and it like really means something for for whatever she's doing so that would have been a great question to ask her too. It's just like uh, you know, a lot of people go to school and then they, uh, they start as liberal arts until they find out what they really want to do, and they could become accountant or a, <laughs> a computer programmer or an engineer or, or a teacher or whatever. But uh, it would have been curious to know, like, was that her passion when she was a kid? Because she, you know, uh, it's like you said, Sean. Otherwise, you can go to school and get this degree and become really uh, savvy in in that field but you may not have the passion for it you know because a lot a lot of people like like chefs you know that their, their hobby was a kid as a chef and then they go to to you know johnson's and wales or or whatever and, and then they become chefs and and some people go to um juilliard because you know they're into music you know and obviously she I, i'm assuming she must have had that type of feeling about cinematography and cameras before she even left high school that's just a guess, yeah i think though. I think Phil, she mentioned that she had a Nikon Coolpix camera she used to use quite a bit as a kid. Didn't she mention that? 
Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah. she did. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you and go. When she talked about answer. going back, looking back at her pictures, and being like, giving herself credit for like what she pulled off with the the technology at the time, right? Right. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, anything else uh, about terror? And uh, if not, we we can we can talk about just general stuff in horror and genre news. Um, otherwise, anything else about terror? Anyone? She was no, just awesome to deal with. It. Thank you. Oh, go ahead, Sean. Sorry, buddy. Sorry, go. Go ahead, Johnny. Sorry. Oh, well, I'd love to go first. Thank you, Sean. Um, Sorry for no, I just thought she was great. That, that's all I was really going to say. I thought she was great. And um, uh, I think it's one of our best uh, interviews. But again, you know, she made it easy. She was uh, knowledgeable and uh, she, she was just seemed like a great person. Yeah, and she, yeah and, she, and she stayed on focus, too, which was really good. Yeah, because some interviewers, you know, you can interview and then they just go off on these tangents. And it's, but, but yeah, she stayed focused. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Sean, you were basically just saying the same thing Johnny was saying, right? Yeah, just that she was really engaging. That was really nice, right? That, yeah. You know, it wasn't – because sometimes, I guess, you know, you can have where someone's like, I'm just going doing the rounds. Yeah. And you're not really in – you're not really in the moment kind of thing. And it, it didn't feel at any point like that for her, with her, so – Right. Just really nice and really wish her lots of success. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very down very down to earth and you know, just regular. It was nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah indeed. Indeed. Um, work. Yep, absolutely. Um all right. So uh any, anybody wanted to bring up uh you know, we still have about ten, fifteen minutes. Anybody want to bring up uh any news? Uh or I would like to bring up a show yeah. I watched. Yeah, yeah. I watched ahead. Narcos Mexico season three. And it was really good. Uh, and where, where do folks find that show? It's on Netflix. Okay. It and just now, got released on November 5th. And what, what's it all about? So it's basically dealing with the cartels in Mexico and going through in the first seasons, because the first series of Narcos was dealing with Pablo Escobar and like bringing down Escobar. And then what happens when they take down Escobar, then you'd created all these like other like multiple cartels that ended up being in Mexico. And so then the, this, the Narcos Mexico basically follows the seasons as the different cartels rise and, and fall in power. And so they just dropped number, the season number three and it was, I really enjoyed it. Nice. Nice. And, and so what, what's this official genre, I guess, is it like a, like a, Police it's like a crime drama. Crime, that's it. Okay, yeah. All right, so that's that's worth checking out. All right, sounds good. Is it is subtitled or is it English? Yes, it's if they have the actual actors are speaking actual Spanish, so it's it's you get the subtitles, and I I'm fine with it. It works. Is it is it take place mostly in Mexico or the whole yes. thing? Yes, and then there's like there's there's a few characters that are like Americans, so they'll they'll yeah. speak English and have some of the Mexican characters speak English, but most of the characters, the dialogue is in Spanish. So is it is this a, a Mexican uh, television program? No, I think it's I think it's actually an American. I'd have to go check the actual thing, but I think it's actually American based. Is my okay. guess. I think, I but think they have lots of different actors and the. Um, the actor who played Pablo Escobar was involved in directing episodes in season three. Okay. That's he, pretty cool. Trans, which is, and he's Brazilian. Cause it was like, there's like a controversy from people about him playing a Colombian being Brazilian. <laughs> so. <laughs> right. Well, that, I know. I mean, this, that's the weird thing about today is I like, you know, back in the day, anybody could play anybody, but now they're trying to say that people have to. Are you really acting? If you are what you're acting. 
I don't know. But I, I mean, mean that's the uh, thing that I find crazy about. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 well, yeah, you know, it's like it's like Dustin Hoffman, right? He played Razzo Rizzo, and I, and is Italian. While well, Hoffman is is a German Jew or something like that. It's just, so it's like he has no Italian in it at all. James Caan played an Italian, and and he's he's Jewish, and then uh, Marlon Brando's Irish. No, you, you missed know, and, the best part there. Dustin Hoffman played a woman. Yeah. <laughs> I'm what, what, what are you talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, right, right. So, 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 so I, I don't, I don't get any of this anymore. Where you, you know, and, and they're even doing it now with 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 cartoons. Where if, if it's a yes, the person like, doing the voice has to be. Yeah, yeah. I guess like, I'm a fish I, now. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't get any of it. But, but that, uh, you know, we won't get into the politics behind all that crap. Um, so, uh, what about you, Johnny? You got anything that you wanted to bring up? You know, a review of like a film that you recently seen, or, or a show that you want to let folks know about that would be listening to this podcast? Um, I just finished season three of You. It's a, uh, it's a like a serial killer slash stalker um, series that's on Netflix and. Uh, yeah, I just got done watching season three of that. It's it's thoroughly entertaining. I wouldn't say it's you know great. Get through the first season because I'm I'm always like, is he gonna get caught? Is he gonna get caught? Is he gonna get caught? So I can't watch it. I'm just like, I can watch an episode at a time, and that is it. I can't binge that show. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, you is the show. I can't tell you who's in it. I don't know it offhand, or I can't remember. Yeah, but, um, it, it, there's no like big names. I, I mean, they're just they're known just because of the show. But anyway, continue. Yeah, no, it's a uh, stalker, serial killer slash. So it's worth checking out, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, I seen yeah. season one. Oh, yeah. season one. Season one was pretty, pretty good. Uh, I haven't yeah. seen. I've, I have. I saw like two episodes of season two, but then got sidetracked. Haven't watched it since. All right, um, hear me out, fellas. Hear me out. Oh, I'm going oh, right. to pose something to you real quick, though. But these okay. shows, these shows that are like three seasons long, you know, three seasons that so thirty episodes, and I'm thinking you could just make a great thriller in two and a half you know two hours and 40 minutes and call it a day i mean i don't got the time to be invested 30 hours in these shows i don't know what you guys think well well that, that's what they're saying is that nowadays they're saying that you could be the opposite it's like well the, two hours isn't enough they should make it into a mini series or 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 as tv series you know so i think it depends, depends on what story you're trying to tell yeah, yeah. Because i think some stories you yeah. can't do like i'll for instance i will pull this up because it's something that i was really excited about and not happy when i watched it but this but uh the dark tower that was the 90 minutes how do you put any of that in right. 90 minutes well you know what's funny sean is that uh me and barrett we would we did a review on uh dune uh, for dark discussions, which that episode hasn't come out yet, um, okay, yeah. and and uh, we we mentioned in that episode uh, with Mike and Kevin Letts that maybe I think it may have been Letts that said maybe it would have been better to to make the movie into a miniseries or or, or a, a yeah. television show rather than you know the, what they did with the movie, even if the movie is considered good, you know. But they're making so, it into multiple parts, though. Yeah, but only two, and so that's was it only two? I thought they were doing three. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, 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 we'll put it this way. It, well, for the original book, they're they're going to do two, but but the, the question is, is like, could they? Okay. Like yes. Yeah. Like like the stand, right? I mean, even though it sucked, um, yeah. that it was a smart move. Let's go with the ninety-four. That that would have <laughs> It was smart to make it a miniseries. Or or a one season eight episode or nine episode show because had they done it right, 
um, you know, that, that, that would have been awesome to have nine hours of the stand, you know, uh, well done, you know, versus what Johnny said, which is, you know, why, why not just make it a two hour movie? Um, so it really depends on the story, as Sean said, I would think. So I, I agree with you, Sean. Um, if you, if you have not watched it, the honest trailer of Dune is freaking hilarious. Oh, I'll have to check it out. That's you have got to watch it. It is um, so funny. Now, Johnny, I have a question for well, you. Can um, I throw another show? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, I just I have a question for Johnny first. Uh, Johnny, um, you, uh, I mentioned uh, a television show that uh, my neighbor uh, watched called The Chestnut Men. And uh, you said you were going to take a look at it. Did you ever get a watch on that? That's a Netflix show, Danish television series. Yeah, I finished it like uh, a week and a half ago, and I absolutely freaking loved it. I just stumbled upon it, and it was so well acted, and it's dubbed. Uh, obviously, they speak in Dutch. Um, it's dubbed in English. No, Danish. But, I think I think it's Danish. Yeah, Danish. Yeah, um, go. <laughs> anyway, um, it's it's <laughs> tremendous, and you know the the dubbing doesn't like affect the quality of it or the acting. It was excellent. Highly recommend. I would love to do a uh, show on that as well. So, so do a, a, an episode on, on that television series. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like after we do the mayor of uh, East Town. You're funny. So that's like six episodes, I think, isn't it? The chestnut man. Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's under 10. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's, uh, it's, yeah. So my neighbor, she, she said it was awesome. Uh, and that's why I recommended it to you, Donnie. I just never have, put it on yet myself uh now sean you were going to mention another series you want to talk about oh sorry the other one i was going to throw was american rust okay what's that what station's that on with uh, more tyranny and uh, jack daniels uh, i think it's uh, is it stars in the states it shows up on my crave hbo okay. up in canada and okay. uh but i really enjoyed that series i really enjoyed seeing jeff daniels in a different role Okay, and what, what what type of series is it? Is it a thriller? It's, it's like a crime, another kind of crime. They're trying to solve this okay. stuff that's going on, and it's kind of like the... Um, is it a police procedural? Uh, a little bit, and it's it's kind of like the, the a town just like kind of falling apart just over time, and just like how it's like the the luster of it is, is gone, and you're seeing kind of like the American dream is not quite what it's what you're hoping for kind of thing. So okay. it's, an, it's a little bit of crime and some other stuff. So I don't want to read it in case anybody else wants to watch it, but I, I enjoyed the, uh, the cast and it's, I enjoyed the series. So. Right. Right. All right. Sounds cool. So that's another one to check out. Um, anything about else anybody want to bring up? Yeah. I'm watching two shows, um, both horror based, um, Chucky, which is actually way better than I expected. Well worth watching. Um, and then uh, I know what you did last summer. Again, another show that's way better than I expected. All right, they're both sounds currently good. they're both currently running. All right, sounds good. Anything else anybody want to bring up? All right, sounds good. So I think we can probably uh, wrap up uh, tonight's episode. So uh, once again, thanks for. Uh, joining everybody um so i guess uh, we'll discuss what we'll do next after we, we sign off with that i guess yeah barrett why don't we uh, sign off then thanks again for joining us on halloween boutique psychotronic reviews catch us again next time and we'll have something completely different <laughs>